You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chicago Bears draft talk, senior bowl impressions, and more. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network, where folks like me, Lester Wiltfong, Jeff Burkus, EJ Snyder, and Bill Zimmerman, that roster is constantly growing, uh, are working constantly to bring you the best Bears content that we possibly can. And speaking of EJ, I've got him on the line live from Mobile. Well, live for us anyways, because he's at the Senior Bowl. And we at Windy City Gridiron couldn't be more excited. EJ, how is it over there? It's been a lot of fun. It's a tremendous experience. Uh, it's my first one on the ground in Mobile. Of course, I've followed the event for years as a draft analyst and scraping every bit of information I could off the Internet. It's it's very different to be here. Uh, it's a great town. Um, Jim Nagy and his staff make it a great event. Um, I've had a great time. A um, couple of weather challenges. Uh, might have a few more of those tomorrow, but overall, just a great, great event. That's got to be so much fun to be at, especially coming from the draft background that you've come from. I can only imagine what it's like to rub elbows with that many people. But in the interest of time, because we don't have much of it and there is oh so much to talk about, I'll be honest. I I know that I, even as somebody that covers the Bears, don't get into draft things until we're right about to actually start the draft. Not even like draft process for people like you or Jacob. I'm talking maybe a week before I familiarize myself with needs, prospects, and whatnot, because I'm focused on free agency. So EJ, catch me up. What's going on in the Bears as far as their draft needs, and where should they be looking at this point? Yeah, they've certainly built their board. They're doing their self-scouting, uh, have now completed their self-scouting for the 2019 season. What went well? What didn't? Uh, what players are coming up for free agency? You mentioned free agency, which ones are restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, all of that. So they can kind of set their needs and set their board. If it was me, I would imagine that they'd be looking at tight end. Uh, they haven't gotten a lot of production out of that spot. The, the big guys, if you want to, on their roster, um, either draft pick or salary-wise, are Burton and Shaheen. Neither contributed a great amount this year, so I would say tight end is right up the board. Um, I think cornerback, specifically outside or boundary cornerback, is a need for the Bears. People say, but they have lots of cornerbacks. They do, but they have lots of nickelbacks. Uh, Kyle Fuller is a, is a good player in the prime of his career, but if Kyle Fuller... Um, twists an ankle in practice, you're going to be starting Kevin Tolliver against a lot of really good three wide receiver sets. And that scares me terribly. Prince of Mukamara was hurt at the end of the year, had a hamstring, couldn't run, but he has a lot of miles on that body and um, maybe nearing the end of his rope. So you've got to get, even if you don't replace him this year, you've got to get somebody in the door that's a viable starter at the outside. And the Bears don't have anybody on deck or the practice squad that really looks like that player right now. So corners up there. Uh, interior offensive line, obviously with the retirement of Kyle Long, uh, didn't get good replacements uh, there got below average replacement level play, I would say, at the interior of the line. That definitely helped screw up the offense for a large portion of the season. So whether it's through free agency or the draft, they'll be looking at inside line help. I would say that means either a center to take over or a right guard, because then they will have three players that are center capable, which is pretty interesting. Um, but some kind of interior offensive line help, and they might do both. They might double dip. They might get one in free agency and one in the draft, but are definitely looking at those players here in Mobile. And then it kind of goes to 
other needs, but quarterback for sure. Everybody's going to say quarterback. Yes, but again, I think they will probably address quarterback and free agency as the primary method for a bridge quarterback. Um, and they will probably also draft someone. And they are definitely looking at the folks that are here. So those those are the top needs right offhand. Could you use another wide receiver? Sure. Could you use an offensive tackle with Bobby Massey coming towards the end of his deal? Yeah, sure. They're They're looking at everybody, but those would be my primary needs. That makes sense to me. I mean, I'll point out something that, so I've spent a bunch of time not only trying to recover from what I think is mono, but moving on from that, I've spent a bunch of time watching the offensive line. And one thing that has really stuck out to me, Bear fans, has been just how poor that right guard spot was all throughout the year. I can't even pick one player because it's Kyle Long. He wasn't playing very well. Then it's Rashad Coward. He did not do any better. In fact, in some cases, he almost looked worse, which was saying something. Because I think below average, EJ, and I try not to be overwhelmingly negative, which might shock some listeners because it's been a pretty negative season. Uh, but the, that position, Kyle Long, that play, below average might be a little bit nice. But all that said... What was surprising about it was, of, of course, every lineman is going to make mistakes in their play. You're going to get 10, 15% of blown blocks from just about any quality lineman. You want around 10%. That right guard spot, considering that it blew about one in three plays, it made so many problems for the Bears. Certainly it, uh, put any issue that they had on the forefront of everybody's viewing it. Of, viewing angle and even just an upgrade there would do wonders for our offensive line or at least that's what i'm seeing now one position that i've heard you talk about at length in this draft class that i'd love to hear you just expound a little more on help us understand what this draft class looks like in terms of which positions are good which positions seem a little bit weak in the general sense and specifically i would love to hear your thoughts on this year's wide receiver class Mm, wide receiver is, I would say, historically loaded. And um, we're seeing, uh, I would say, the strong middle heart of the class here at the Senior Bowl. We are not seeing the guys that are going to light up the first round of the draft. We're not seeing Jerry Judy out of Alabama or his teammate, um, Henry Ruggs. Those guys are superstars. It's kind of amazing that they're on the same team. Um, there are as many flavors and types of good, talented wide receivers out there in this draft as I've seen in a very long time. Uh, I've been doing draft stuff quite seriously for not quite 10 years. Folks that have been doing it for twice that long say that this is the best class that they've seen. That's impressive stuff. Um, there's a very good group of wide receivers here. And again, that's not even the top group. So you're going to see wide receivers available um, well down the board um, who are quality players and all different types. You've got big guys, boundary guys, possession guys, speed guys. Um, you want a flavor? It's available in this draft at wide receiver. That makes sense to me. I mean, I know one guy from my alma mater, Denzel Mims, is we've talked about this before. He's in that bigger, faster mold, it's, as in he's a 6'2 wide receiver, a bit slender based on what you were telling me, and fast at his speed. But it certainly seems as if it would be a good draft for Ryan Pace and the Bears to look and see if they could add some kind of wide receiver weapon depending on what they want. Do they want one of those bigger guys? Maybe you look at somebody like Mims. Do they want to add a Nicole Hardman? Based on what you're saying, it sounds like he'd be there around those later rounds where Pace has found so much value, at least based on what I'm hearing. It seems as if this is exactly the kind of draft to look for that number two, number three receiver, depending on what Anthony Miller ends up turning into in those later rounds. Am I crazy for thinking that? Not at all. And it really depends on several factors uh, in the Bears, what they do with Taylor Gabriel. He was supposed to be their speed threat this year. Uh, a lot of people are predicting uh, he could be a cap casualty this year. I believe that's quite possible. Um, everybody's excited about Miller's potential uh, and his production when he's been healthy, but he injured his shoulder in the last game of the year. He's going to need sh uh, shoulder surgery again on the same shoulder he's hurt. Does that, you know, 
uh, Miller is a very tough guy. He's a very strong guy, but uh, there's only so much punishment that particular joints can take. And shoulder for a receiver is a really key joint. So is he going to be the Anthony Miller at full strength that we expect? Um, he is a young player that, you know, sits in his favor, but I'm not a doctor. And if, if Miller is dinged up, then you're really looking at Allen Robinson as the alpha. If Taylor Gabriel's on the way out the door and Miller's hurt or unable to start the year, you're down to Javon Wims, who's a good receiver, but not great. And Riley Ridley, who we saw just ever so briefly at the end of the season has great potential, but would you not go out in a historically loaded class and get a field stretcher, get, get a speed threat to really rip seams open in that defense. And it would do wonders for the spacing in Nagy's offense to be able to keep those secondary players specifically away from the line and give those underneath and crossing routes that he loves to use a little more breathing room to operate. It makes sense to me, especially since one thing that I saw was a big difference in this 2019 offense from the 2018 offense. I don't know if Cohen got a step slower. My guess is that defenses simply started assigning a dedicated defensive back to our running back, Tariq Cohen, which is a compliment in and of itself, but it worked from a defensive perspective. We saw, like you're saying, a lot of those running lanes and yak potential spots totally evaporate in this 2019 season. So like somebody said to me on Twitter the other day, the Bears don't aren't in a position to be picky when it comes to weapons. And if they can find somebody at a nice value, it sounds like kind of a no-brainer. Now, you mentioned two other big positions. Uh, frankly, you mentioned a lot of them, but we can't go further in this show. You know, like, what kind of Bears podcasting host would I be if I didn't ask you, what have you seen in mobile, mobile or anything else about the offensive line or tight ends? What seems interesting? There's a lot there. Um, I think more so. I studied both of those positions before I got here. I studied the five positions that I talked about because I knew I, I only got my credential a couple of weeks before the event. I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch everybody. So I really focused on what I thought were the four or five top bears needs. I put out a poll on Twitter. Folks generally agreed with me, but I knew interior offensive line and tight end were going to be on there. So I watched the majority of those players. The only guy from, we'll start with tight ends, the only tight end I really didn't have good tape on before I got here was, uh, it looks like Steven, but I heard his agent call out his name on the field today, and it's Stefan Sullivan from LSU. And much more of a receiving tight end, um, big tall guy, and has had a pretty good session down here but um hunter bryant from uh florida uh atlantic i want to say yeah i always mix up florida atlantic and florida international but uh, i believe it's florida atlantic i believe he was pay playing uh down there same team as uh kareth white last year on the owls anyways hunter bryant great guy um very athletic, has showed out, looked very good. Bryson Hopkins, who is the consensus probably number one tight end from Purdue, has been here. He's had a pretty good session catching the ball. He's very personable in interviews, um, looks the part um, physically of tight end one in this draft, uh, has had some moments blocking that have not been fantastic. He's had some good ones and some bad ones. He had a catastrophic one today. We can talk about that later, but generally <laughs> has played quite well. Um, don't mean to, to throw shade at Hopkins. He's, um, he's played well and um, trying to think about all the other players, but there's some guys around the edges that could be available a little bit later. Um, smaller guys like uh, Charlie Tomoe Pea from Portland state. Um, uh, DeGuara from Cincinnati uh, had looked a little bit better today. I really like his game. He's on the smaller move side. He's definitely not an inline blocking tight end. There's not a ton of those here. The big traditional inline um, line them up as an offensive lineman and let them push. Uh, most of these guys are following the trend of the NFL being speedier pass catchers who can work the slot, work the seam, um, one guy who's looked, I would say, uh, well, who surprised me a little bit is uh, Sean McEwen. It's spelled McKeon, but he's the Michigan State tight end, or sorry, Michigan tight end. And Harbaugh does not throw to his tight ends. Um, if you watch Sean McEwen tape, it's block, 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 flare pass, block, 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 block. So he looked, he was bulked up for that role. He looked um, very, I would say, a bit more stiff. He's definitely lost a little weight coming here, um, and he's trying to show that he's athletic, and he's 
kept up with all these other tight ends. And that's been a bit of a revelation. Hey, he can run. He can catch. Is he as fast or as fluid as Bryson Hopkins? He's not. And then the other guy we really need to talk about who's been the story of the week is Adam Troutman from Dayton. Um, Small school. Bears fans aren't going to like that. Another tight end named Adam from a small school. They're they're not going to be wild about it. Troutman is a completely different animal. He's 6'5", 251. He and Hopkins are actually roommates, they said today. They've been studying the playbook together. Troutman has followed Hopkins in every rep, basically trying to do as well or better, has looked a little bit better blocking, and moves um, in a way that most guys that are 6'5", 251 cannot do. He moves like a wide receiver. He's actually recruited to Dayton as a quarterback. He's wildly smart. Uh, he's an engineering student. He's accepted at Cornell and Harvard, chose Dayton because of their engineering program. Um, very well-spoken, very athletic, very competitive, catches the ball very fluidly, um, and doesn't look half bad blocking. Um, and he's a guy that's going to need consideration. He's going to rise this week. He's not going to be the value he was before this week. Um, he's going to be in that top tight end consideration. He looks that good. Um, now there are guys in the tight end conversation that aren't here. Um, Albert O from Missouri is sort of in the running for top two, uh, right up there with Bryson Hopkins. And, and now I think Troutman's really pushing his way into that mix, but a lot of options here. Um, definitely the bears are going to have some choices and that's not a bad thing. That makes sense to me. And we'll talk about offensive line in just a second. Cause I do still want to hear your thoughts there, but you mentioned Bryson Hopkins and Please help me whenever I screw up a name, because I'll tell you right now that I'm, I'm, we memorize enough names for the National Football League. Getting used to those draft class names is something that certainly I could use plenty of work on. But one thing that I heard about Hopkins in particular is that he's a bit short in terms of the measurables end. And that has me thinking, EJ, would you mind explaining to me and everyone else how important measurables are and aren't? And in this case, how they relate to Hopkins? Sure. It's a great question. I think measurables, the importance of measurables really depends on the team and the eye of the beholder. There are teams that have certain measurable thresholds um, and they don't use them so much to pick people. They use them to exclude people. Um, Perfect, for instance, is there are teams that will not touch a quarterback that has less than nine inch hands. They just think the fumble risk is too great. Um, there are teams that will write off Nick Harris, the center from Washington, because he weighed in at 293. And three bills is a magic number for them, and he wasn't three bills, and they will just – they're not going to red flag him and take him completely off the board, but they're they're going to take him out of any top consideration. So certain teams have certain thresholds based on their systems that they need to deal with. Some people want a very tall, tight end. Um, because maybe they have a short quarterback, um, maybe they're tight end. Anyways, there's a million reasons why they might want that height. But the bottom line is players at that position are becoming much more glorified wide receivers and guys in the 6'3", 6'4", range who are in the 230 to 245 pound range who can run um, a la Gerald Everett. Um, There's uh, Evan Engram is maybe 230 soaking wet. Like these are the guys that are defining the position and having success. And it's a copycat league. So people are becoming okay with slightly shorter, slightly lighter tight ends, but almost all of these guys um, with the exception of Troutman, although he looks like one of those smaller, lighter guys, he is fully six, five and two fifty one, And he told me that although he weighed in at two fifty one, he will probably be two fifty seven by the time the combine runs around and he's going to run a very good time. So he's deceptively uh, regular sized, I guess, if you want to go with classic tight end mold. But most of these guys, six three, six four, somewhere between two thirty and two fifty at the top end, usually about two forty five. Makes sense to me. And for the record, anybody who wants to know, I did just take a look at the uh, measurables of some of the best tight ends in the game. Travis Kelsey, 6'5", 260. George Kittle, 6'4", 250. Zach Ertz, let me get the height, 6'5", 249. So that 230 soaking wet, as we could see with Evan Ingram, who certainly he struggled. Hey, maybe that is something predictive. We have yet to see, or not have yet, but we're waiting for that next big 
pop true receiving tight end, but I'm with you with the way the U tight end is moving along in terms of just the position and how it's growing into the NFL. We are on the cusp. I'm sure of a tight end that is a little on the lighter side, maybe even on the shorter side, but really, really quick and good with his hands. That is, it's somewhere it's coming. It's very similar to how, of course, in the age of just how fast wide receivers are getting Tyreek Hill was going to show up eventually. So I'm really interested to see how that position plays out. And before we move on to offensive line, because again, it's really important and we have to talk about it. Here's a question that I've got for you in terms of top end tight ends and mid-level tight ends. I know one of my favorite articles I have ever read in terms of the draft comes from Arrowhead Pride back in 2014. If you haven't read it, you need to find it. It is numerically dissecting hit rate by position according to round. I'm sure you've read it, EJ. Um, and one thing I remember it talked about is the hit rate for second or second round tight ends is about 50%, and the hit rate for third and fourth round tight ends doesn't decay much, drops to about 40% in each round. If it was you, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much, it isn't even February yet, would you take a higher rated tight end in that second round that you could say, yes, I want one of these guys, I think they can be an all-star, or knowing what the Bears need, would you potentially move that back to the third or fourth and take other positions? That's a great question. Um, you make a great point about it being early in the process and still sort of slotting these guys and looking at supply and demand. It's possible that a tight end won't be selected in the first just because of the general strength of tight end, the needs, how many teams that are in that first round really need one versus, say, something that's in lesser supply, like an offensive tackle, whereas the hit rates on offensive tackles, if you read that <laughs> – go way down, especially starting yes. left offensive tackles. If you need one, you get one of those in the first round. And tackles and edge. Few. Yep, tackles and edge, So, but not tight end. So tight end could get pushed down. And there's quite a bit of talent in this class, and it does stretch for, I would say, two or three rounds where you're still going to be able to get a player that is of value if it fits the niche in your system. So... um. If nobody gets picked in the first, I think I'd be much happier waiting until that makes sense. It does. I mean, I can only imagine the nuclear explosion that will happen on uh, on Bears Twitter, assuming the Bears take, let's say, a Tyler Eifert or Evan Ingram in free agency. Because, I mean, for crying out loud, you have to imagine they're going to double dip in some form or fashion in this tight end spot, especially given how tight end is rumored or not rumored it's just known to, to take a little longer to adjust to the nfl but if the bears because one thing i've sat on my mind there i've had on my mind for a little while now is the bears need a contingency plan for leonard floyd they obviously like you've mentioned they need a cornerback here at some point bobby massey if they don't think that he's going to rebound and be any better than 2019 they've got to look into addressing him in the future we haven't we've already talked about right guard you're piling up so many needs that if you're going to uh, need a tight end by 2021, maybe that does end up pushed down the board. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I guess while we're on the topic, before we move to offensive line, would you mind talking a little bit about edge? Because I know that's going to be a key position, especially as far as managing the cap coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, edge is not as stacked in this draft. There are a lot of flavors. There's um, the guy that I wanted to see the most, who was originally scheduled to be at the uh, Senior Bowl, Khalid Kareem out of uh, Notre Dame, withdrew. So I don't have any more firsthand knowledge about him. He does excite me. Um, but there's some guys here that are pretty interesting. Um, Kenny Willickus from Michigan State, who's a guy I've, I've actually talked to every day. I talked to him at the media. I talked to him after the first practice, and I got to talk to him again today because he was the author of Bryson Hopkins' demise on that particular play. Uh, he pre-read. I asked him what he saw, and he pre-read uh, Run um, Hopkins' set in such a way that, he, that Kenny knew that he was going to run block. And he hit him full force with leverage and actually lifted Hopkins and blasted him into the running back. Oh, no. 
yeah, no, it was awesome. Like, I know I'm not supposed to cheer at these practices, but I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was it was one of those plays. Um, so, you know, that's not to say Hopkins can't block. That's not to say Willikis is going to be a wrecking machine. It meant on that play, he had his number and everything went perfectly for him. But Kenny's a really interesting guy, high leverage use. He's learning how to play a two-point stance, loves football, um, loves to learn, is really energized by this, hey, I'm going to have to stand up because it's going to increase my versatility, um, wants to keep that leverage, is a high motor guy, is a guy that plays um, very, very strong every play. Now, is he the most gifted speed guy? Is he going to test out of the gym? He's not, but uh, he makes do with what he has in a very, very effective way. So some team's going to love him. I'm not saying he's a great fit for the Bears, but he's a great player. Then there's this whole class of guys that um, here that you don't really know where to put. Guys like Cam Brown from Penn State, um, a guy that I met today and watched film of this morning, Carter Coughlin from Minnesota, who had played more strictly edge, slimmed down a little bit, and is learning pass protection uh, because he thinks he's, that gives him versatility. He actually kind of reminds me of a Floyd skill set, right? He can rush, he can show power, but he's he's good enough dropping, can cover the tight end. So it's like, what do you want out of that class again? Then there's more classic guys like Alton Robinson from Syracuse that are, um, you look at that guy. Um, I saw him in the lobby of the hotel tonight heading to testing, and he was just in shorts and a T-shirt. That guy looks like an edge rusher, right? He's like 6'5", 265 or whatever he is. Yeah, you know, very solid lower half. He And when he puts it all together, he's explosive and whatever. Question is, can he do that all the time? So it's a flavor thing like anything else, but the Bears are going to have to find something. And it's going to be more, I think, the complimentary edge rusher because, again, it's super forward, high-profile edge rushers going in the first round. Bears don't have a first-round pick, nor should they trade up to get one. And, you know, there's a bunch of complimentary guys that, could do that and move around, but they're going to be more of that sort of mm, either third round rush specialist because they're maybe say undersized or had an injury, or they're going to be that jack of all trades, kind of that Kyle Van Noy role that we've seen in New England, where a little bit of forward, a little bit of back can rush the passer. Um, I don't think you're, there's no Khalil Max lurking out there that the Bears are going to go pluck off the street in the second or third round. So there you go. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And while it would be awesome to pluck another Khalil Mack in the second or third round, frankly, that's one of the advantages to having Mack and having him on such a long contract. Look, I'm not going to I'm not going to pull any punches. A contract as big as Max has plenty of downsides, namely it's massive and long. Uh, but if there's a bright side to it, it's that you can plan absolutely every single draft pick uh, over the next couple of years around the fact that you do have Khalil Mack. And as long as he's healthy, like you're saying, you don't have to draft a number one edge rusher. We can draft somebody under the understanding that Akeem Hicks and most importantly, Khalil Mack are going to be on that defensive line. So like you're saying, you can look for somebody who they don't necessarily have to have as broad a skill set. You're looking for somebody who's going to punish a single block. Fair enough? Yeah, there's one guy I forgot to mention who is here, and he struggled with injuries throughout his career, but he's here and he's healthy and he's killing people. And that's exactly what you're looking for an edge rusher to do. And, and medicals are obviously going to be the thing for him. Um, but Terrell Lewis from Alabama is mashing some of the best offensive linemen here. He's 6'5", 252, so he absolutely looks the part. And um, the report that Jim Nagy gave on him in the opening press conference was two years ago when he was at Alabama, uh, where Terrell Lewis came from, and he was talking to him, and they said, oh, Terrell Lewis is the most gifted rusher we have. And he said, really? And he said, yeah, none of our O-linemen can stop him. <laughs> now... Think back to two years ago, Alabama, and who got drafted, right? Mm-hmm. They had a left tackle drafted. They had a guard drafted. They had a center drafted. And and Nagy said, 
nobody? Like, you mean nobody on the second team? Or like, nobody? And he said, no, nobody can stop him. Now, since then, he's had injuries, and that's why he's not a, you know, guaranteed top five pick going off the board this draft. But if his medicals come back clear and you look at his senior bowl tape and say, this is representative of what we're going to get, that's a guy that probably isn't going to last through the end of the first round because he has the pedigree coming from Atlanta. He's got some production, certainly on tape in the senior bowl, and then he's got the, the, the size, right? And mm-hmm. he'll go, but he's had a, he's had a refreshing week. He um, has played very, very well and blasted some guys who've been solid against everybody else. That's awesome. And if nothing else, it's just really cool to hear from somebody like you who's there, you are boots on the ground and you're able to give us the perspective that we can't have otherwise. Now I've strung people who are waiting for offensive line along for long enough. Talk to me. When, you t- when you're seeing namely guards, but also tackles, and just knowing the Bears' situation like you do, who interests you? Yeah, there's, uh, again, one of the guys I was really looking forward to seeing was Shane Lemieux out of Oregon. And a couple of the Oregon guys uh, declined last week or, or just pulled out. Um, Shane Lemieux was one of them, so I haven't seen him. He looks very good on tape. He's a power-blocking run guard, pretty good in pass pro, but very, very powerful, pretty quick. Um, was looking forward to seeing him here. There's some other folks. John Simpson from Clemson has had um, pretty good reps throughout. I've seen him. I've seen him get beat, but that's okay. You're going to get beat. It is top talent. He's looked certainly serviceable. He's not going to be a top line guy um, in terms of you know picked in the first round. He's not Quentin Nelson. Um, the guard that was added from LSU, whose name escapes me because I'm remembering their center's name, but uh, Damian Lewis had a better day yesterday. Um, looked very, very good, like you would expect a, a top SEC guard to look. Today he had some more struggles. His center, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, made himself some money and has stayed at a high level and, and stoned, again, some of the best interior defensive tackling pass rushers that are here. But Lewis had a little bit of a rougher day. There's a guy, um, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky, who is 6'6", 317. Um, uh, He doesn't, uh, this is going to sound funny, but he doesn't do anything right in terms of bend, hand (laughs) placement, whatever. But he's incredibly strong. He's incredibly powerful. Um, and he's quite effective in a phone booth. And uh, the coaches from the Bengals have been on him really hard about fundamentals. And I think it matters less. Um, this comes back to the uh, Orlando Brown Jr. argument, right? The Zeus argument when he was coming out of Oklahoma. And everybody's like, well, he didn't test well. He moved really slow. He had like a historically throw, slow three cone. And everybody said nobody got around him at Oklahoma, right? And he goes to the Ravens where his dad played and he stones people (laughs) on the right side, like all the time. And it's just because he's very big, very strong human being. Stenberg reminds me of that in a phone booth. He's really good in the, in the guard spot. He moves people. He turns people. He gets them on the ground. The rules here don't um, favor him. You can't put anybody on the ground in practice. That's the big no, no. Um, and the coaching staff will light you up if you do it because there's a high risk of injury, especially at offensive line drills. So that's what he does. He turtles guys left and right on tape, but he can't do that here. So they're really interested in things like hand placement. And it's important for an offensive lineman for sure, but it, he gets away with it because of wingspan and power. So it's a little bit about, do you care about the results or do you care about the form? But Stenberg's a, a fascinating guy. A lot of people I've seen written him up have said, Oh, he's had a terrible, terrible time. But, um, not a lot of guys have gotten by him. He's gotten yelled at at the co- by the coaches a lot, but he's also been effective. So it's a it's a classic sort of O line conundrum. Do you care about the results or do you care about how it looks? And yeah, there's a lot of guys here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of guys here. I've been watching the offensive and defensive line drills quite a bit, and uh, the Bears will have things to choose from. But back to that value chart that you mentioned earlier, a lot of starting guards in the league come from third round or lower. Many of them are undrafted free agents. So, do the Bears have to get a guard up high? And the answer is no. If anywhere, I think they'll double dip. I think they'll do it here. I very much think they'll get a free agent and somebody to put in the pipeline because the depth was exposed this year and it wasn't great. 
Um, but there's a lot to choose from. Uh, there's talented guys who are playing pretty well here, and you don't have to go up high and get them. Certainly something I think is extremely interesting, and you turned me onto this kind of thinking uh, two years ago, I think, pretty much right around the time that you were writing about Eddie Jackson, namely, is this you, thinking in terms of, okay, who could be a steal? Like, in what set, because to explain it to listeners who aren't in on the conversations that EJ and I have had pre, post, pod, and phone calls, basically guys like the edge that you mentioned a little while ago, the absolutely unstoppable Alabama edge, he is he's probably going to go in the first round, not only because he's an edge, but also because he has as good tape as he does. But the way you get an Eddie Jackson, somebody who's extremely good, obviously one of the best safeties in the NFL, is you have to understand you're going to get a major red flag and something that's going to throw a lot of teams off. And I'm not going to try to make any big proclamations about Stenberg, but that sounds like exactly the kind of guy that you could pick up a lot later than his production might give you. And of course, he could get to the NFL and then just bust out because it turns out that the fundamentals and the technique aspects get exploited and it's not very good. But you also, I'm just totally like dartboarding around here. You could land somebody like that in the fifth round and end up with way better value than a fifth round guard. At least that's what I'm hearing. Are there any other guys that just off the top of your head seem to fit that qualification of, yeah, they've got a major red flag, but I'm not sure it's as bad as other people might think it is. There is in the cornerback rank, and we can skip to that, but that's Let's Bryce skip Hall. To it. Out, yeah, it's Bryce Hall out of Virginia. He got hurt early, and he's my candidate for the Eddie Jackson Award this year. Uh, he got hurt early, missed his senior season. Very accomplished cornerback. Uh, if he had been healthy this year, he would have been in high second-round consideration, maybe even first, depending on how well he played. Played in a major conference. Tons of experience. A leader on that team. Good size physically, definitely an outside corner. Uh, you know, if he comes back with a clean medical and uh, teams are going to forget about him because he's not going to be part of the pre-draft process, he's still healing. I mean, he'll be doing interviews, but he's not on the field. And that always drops your stock. And Bryce Hall would have been a late one, early two round at worst corner, possibly better. And now, you know, you might get him in the middle or late second round or maybe even third if people don't like his medicals. So cornerback for sure one other uh offensive line guy i wanted to mention two actually um from places that make a lot of offensive linemen ohio <laughs> state and michigan and jonah jackson um had a um what i would call a very neutral day today and that's a good thing for a guard to have there weren't a lot of episodes of him being on the ground there weren't a lot of episodes of him getting yelled at there weren't a lot of episodes of guys blown by him he, he did his job and that's what you want guards to do. And the other one that just cracks me up is Ben Bredesen uh, from Michigan. And Ben Bredesen looks like he came out of the Michigan guard factory mold. He's, he's that big, tough, white guy with no neck that doesn't have great movement skills, but is horribly effective right he just grinds it out like i said um harbaugh doesn't throw to his tight ends there's a reason he's running the ball all the time these guys are getting a lot of snaps they're very well schooled in run blocking which isn't all that popular in college anymore bredesen looks like the next one from that line that's going to come out that you know you look at him under the helmet and he looks just like the last five he plays just like the last five that's not a bad thing it's a lot of very successful michigan linemen in the league so a couple of guys off the North team who are just over there grinding it out, doing their Big Ten thing, and uh, doing it pretty well. That sounds awesome. I mean, especially given that, like you've talked about, there are tons of these guards. They're not. It's not a premium position. It makes a lot of sense because I know I've even talked on Twitter about how I thought that at one point the Bears were going to potentially take, whether it was a tackle, move him to guard, or a guard outright in the second round, purely off of need. It sounds as if that's just not as necessary as folks like me might 
think it is, at least based on how draft boards shake out. Now, we are quickly, and I can't believe that we're already there, closing in on the end of our time. You've been at the Senior Bowl for two days. You've obviously seen more than just what we've talked about. Is there any other major highlights that you need to talk about, whether it's quarterbacks, whether it's running backs, whether it is safeties, anything, just Open floor, go as long as you want. What have you seen that you have not been able to share? Well, we haven't talked at all about quarterbacks, and I know it's always a, a position that people want to hear about. Um, the big draw here, uh, obviously, Justin Herbert from Oregon, top quarterback, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, and then Jordan Love from Utah State. So uh, Herbert's looked really good. He's looked apart. He is efficient. He spins it very well. He's tall. He's very personable with the press. He is definitely the guy that throws the ball the best here. Yesterday was very cold um, in the low 30s and breezy. So um, it was a bitter day to be out in metal bleachers watching football. And Herbert looked just as good going into the wind as he did away from it. Not all quarterbacks could say that. Some of the guys like Anthony Gordon, who played at Washington State, you'd think would be used to the cold and windy conditions. He does not throw a ball that cuts through the wind very well. Um, Shea Patterson, same thing. Uh, the Michigan quarterback. Uh, Michigan doesn't throw a lot, and there's a reason. Shea Patterson is not a great passer. Um, he's he's a gamer. He's very plucky, but... Um, uh, when you're looking at passers, it's Herbert by a mile in terms of arm and then Love. Um, and Love throws a very good ball. He has a very live arm, uh, not quite as accurate, uh, certainly more mobile than Justin Herbert. That's the piece that everybody's excited about. If you have an offensive coordinator who can be like Greg Roman and insert some of those Lamar Jackson concepts, Jordan Love is the guy you're looking at with potential, not Herbert. Herbert's not going to run a lot of RPOs, uh, but he is a classic pocket passer and he has looked apart in every way. So he's kind of maintained that stock, which is great. Um, Love has shown some flashes and thrown some really nice touch passes. Everybody wants to hear about Hertz. Um, Hertz, uh, his accuracy is quite good on the short to medium stuff. He threw some nice deep balls today, which I'd not seen as much of them out of. He doesn't spin it as tightly as Herbert which means it doesn't go through the wind quite as well. He can throw the deep ball. He's very confident. He's a great leader. Um, you can see he's great with the guys. He's obviously got a ton of experience. He was at Alabama, and then he went to Oklahoma, two major programs, um, had success at both in, in varying degrees, um, was a Heisman finalist this year, so a lot of people know the name. Uh, he's a He's a really solid guy and I think he's going to be an effective quarterback in the right system that is not a deep ball system he's not going to be throwing a deep ball if you're asking Jalen Hurts to throw the deep ball you know uh, 10 times a game which is a lot in the NFL for true deep balls you know 20 to 25 yards you're not going to be succeeding you're not putting him in a spot where he's going to do his best work now again you introduce some of those run concepts Jalen Hurts is very solidly built and he's a very good runner um, he's going to give you some first downs. And he put the Oklahoma team on his back several times by using his legs this year. He had a, a game where he rushed 26 times, I think. Um, yeah, so Hertz is a very interesting guy, but uh, I would say less traditional than a guy like Herbert who's going to stand back there. All the other guys, is there a quarterback you can kind of steal, scrape off the floor? I was hoping it was Gordon. Um, it's not. Uh, the other guy is Steven Montez from Colorado, who did not have a good day yesterday. But today, he spun the ball. He looked like a guy that could drive the ball a little bit more. He's got decent size. Uh, he was pretty accurate today. Um, his accuracy was not quite as good as the other quarterbacks, but it was good enough to get it done. Had a lot of completions today. Um, and threw the ball with some zip. So I have to go back and watch Montez tape. Um, I was not so much of a fan before we got here. I kind of thought I might have reaffirmed that bias in the first day, but there's a lot of first day jitters, new installs, new coaches, new teammates. Um, Montez settled down today and had a much better day. So if I had to sort of stack rank them, it's Herbert and then Love and Hertz, but with different skill sets, then a mm, bit of a drop, maybe Montez, and then really a bit of a drop to the folks that are left. Makes sense to me. And 
frankly, it sounds, or I find the quarterback position really, really interesting. This is the better way to phrase it, because like you said, I think that free agency makes a lot of sense, not because the best quarterback available to the Bears is in free agency, or better put, I think that free agency is where we're going to find the best quarterbacks, because the ones that we would want are going to be unavailable or at least that's the impression i get you make or you make jordan love sound a lot like he could maybe experience a josh allen like rise up to the top but herbert certainly sounds like he's solidified himself in that top five top ten conversation i've always liked herbert though i haven't watched him near as closely as somebody like you certainly probably has but that's good to hear i'm a fan of his and i hope he succeeds uh one other question that i guess i would love to see if we can just squeeze in here to the end of it there are a lot of people on twitter that are talking or better put complaining about these senior bowl practices and as somebody who's not there i have no idea what they're talking about is there any chance you could shed some light on that yeah absolutely i've it's something i've learned a lot more about being here um i hadn't considered it in the same way but when you are faced with it um look we're here to talk about these players and we don't get to talk about these players when they're stretching their hamstrings we don't get to talk about these players when they're uh lining up and practicing punt coverage um we don't really get to talk about a lot of these players if they're lining up uh, as they did in previous years, I heard, and running trick plays when John Gruden was here, right? Uh, you know, double reverses. Nobody cares about whether or not that wide receiver can execute a double reverse. Uh, what people care about, um, especially the draft press and, and a lot of the NFL guys too, is that one-on-one session, whether it's cornerback on wide receiver or defensive tackle on offensive center. They want to see the competition. They want to see these guys compete because they don't get to touch each other at the combine or at the workout at your facility, right? They can't have any contact. This is the only place in the process besides their tape where you're going to get to see them compete physically against top talent. So everybody is incredibly hungry for those reps. And if the teams organizing the practices this year, it's the Bengals and the Lions are slow or inefficient or limit those sessions to a very small number of minutes, each rep becomes sort of overemphasized and you want to see more. And maybe your guy only gets one rep or maybe he goes out with a cramp and he gets none on that day and you kind of just have to write it off. So when people say, Oh, it's not good or it's whatever, what they mean is I didn't get enough of those one-on-one sessions or seven on sevens or 11 on 11s. And again, you can't throw the ball to everybody, although they did take a very unique approach today in 11 on 11 and throw two balls. So uh, they would throw the first ball and then a coach would throw the second ball to a second receiver. And it gave two guys chances to make receptions and two defenders chances to make plays. Um, they started it in the seven on seven shells when it was just, or just seven on air shells. So just throwing against air, five wide receivers or four wide receivers and a running back running a route, they would throw it to the prime, the quarterback would throw it to his primary pick. And then a uh, you know, quarterback coach would throw another pass to another receiver. So you get kind of two uses out of the same down, which was pretty cool. Um, but it's a little bit confusing, and what people really mean when they say the senior bowl practices are bad is they were practicing special teams for too long. They were taking too long on play installs, which is kind of walkthroughs so that these guys get to know what they're doing because the bottom line is it is the senior bowl game, and there is a both publicly attended and nationally televised football game on Saturday, and they have to know what they're doing. They don't know the offense, right? They all come from different offenses. They all come from different defenses. And and my point is, when do you want them to learn that? Or do you just want a skill competition, right? Do you just want to put them all out there and have one-on-one competitions at midfield like gladiators and, and, and televise that? You could, but that's a whole different thing. And they need to be able to play a football game and, and become a football team. And that takes practice. And some of that practice is quote-unquote boring to the draft media, like setting up and getting your punt gunners ready to to follow things when you're just shooting punts with a jugs machine. So, you know, for me, it's a good time to talk to people, catch up on my notes and not feel like I'm really missing anything when they're doing like special teams installs or stretching or whatever. But when those one-on-ones come on, 
everybody sets down what they're doing. The cameras come up, uh, people pay attention and that's when the use and ahs happen because that's why people are here. So if there's not enough of that, they feel um, shorted or gypped. It makes total sense to me. And frankly, you're reminding me that a lot of the reason that I've probably seen some of these quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers and whatnot struggle in the actual game, the senior bowl could very well come down to things as simple as they installed this two days ago. What do you expect of them? Especially if these teams, because I can only imagine it would happen every once in a while, cater a bit too much to their NFL peers or the press and skip out on a bit of the installs to show a bit more drills and they get praise for how well they're running their practices and their team doesn't know what they're doing. I'm sure it happens. Not calling anybody out. I have no examples, but... That just wouldn't surprise me at all. But anyways, at some point, I've got to let you go. I know you've got a early rise in the morning. Thank you so much for joining us. EJ, any final thoughts? Yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank the Senior Bowl for reaching out to us. That was fantastic. And seeing if we wanted to send anybody um, the... PR media media director Dave has been fantastic. He is really the reason that I and so many people like me are here and that you're getting all this extra coverage and uh, reading about stuff on Twitter and seeing more plays is they've invited us down and, and welcomed us with open arms. And that is a fantastic turn for the game. It's a fantastic turn for fans. They get to see so much more of this game and, and know so much more about the players than was even possible five years ago. Um, Jim Nagy and his staff have worked incredibly hard, uh, both with the community, the players, the NFL, to try and keep everybody happy. It's a crazy balancing act. And they're doing a fantastic job. So it's been a top flight experience. I really, really enjoyed it and um, gives us a very unique insight that I'm so, so lucky to have. How can fans uh, like me and anybody else continue to follow what you're doing and your extra coverage at the Senior Bowl? How much longer are you going to be there? Uh, I will be here through tomorrow. I actually fly out tomorrow night, so I'll be uh, attending meetings in the morning and then practice. Most of practice, I'm actually leaving directly from the stadium to catch an evening flight at the airport, and then I will have some wrap-up stuff on Friday. I believe Jeff uh, Burkus and I are going to do a Bears Over Beers Senior Bowl wrap-up on Friday. It will probably not be posted on Friday, but we'll record it. Um, I'm going to be on Sean and Maya in the morning, which is a Chicago call-in radio tomorrow morning, talking about the Senior Bowl. Um, I've already done a podcast with uh, UW. So follow me on Twitter, the Draftsman FB, as in football. That's where most of the things are getting posted. And uh, other things will pop up, of course, on Windy City Gridiron. So keep an eye peeled there. But uh, other than that, you can just uh, search at Senior Bowl and you will get everybody's feed, which is fantastic because there's so many great folks doing so much great work here from all the SB Nation sites, from ESPN, your local paper. You never know. There's lots and lots of press here, and everybody's got a great angle, and you might, well, you will see something that you won't see somewhere else. So tons of unique coverage. Follow it all. It's all great. That sounds so awesome. One of these days, I'll have to give you a ring so you can just dump all the stories and whatnot on me. But at this point, I got to let you go. EJ, thanks again for coming on. This has been awesome. Thanks so much. Always love it, Robert. Every chance is great. And Bears fans, that's all I have for you. Make sure you're following EJ on Twitter to get his latest and greatest thoughts on the Senior Bowl and check out all of Windy City Gridiron's coverage on the Bowl as this week progresses. That's it for me. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz or check out my YouTube channel where hopefully in the next few days, and by that I mean 10, 12 days, I should have another piece up. I'm really excited about it. Just getting through writing it now. Until next time, Bears fans, bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.